the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom reign. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We get underway now at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Friday, a free-for-all Friday. It is going to be very, very much that today. It's the 27th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And uh, we've got one guest on the docket for today. Christina Hagan, our regular uh, Friday commentator, will be with us right in the middle of the show, right at 1035. So for the first 90 minutes of the show, we have wide open phone lines for you on Free For All Friday. For the last hour of the show following Christina, we will have wide open phone lines for you. So we will have just the one guest and uh, plenty of opportunity for you to be a guest at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you right here. So um, you can also, of course, use, as I always encourage you to do, the sound off button on the webpage, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Click that red sound off button and leave your message for me there. I will play it and respond to it uh, on the air. So the Monday morning quarterbacks are all out in full force. And from the comfort of their kitchen tables, maybe from their living room easy chairs, 
maybe from their seat of their cars, as they listen to the radio and as they talk with other people who have no earthly idea what exactly went on in Uvalde, Texas, during the active shooter slash active hostage situation. Monday morning, morning quarterbacks are all uniting to condemn the actions of the police. I would like to point out that there may very well be actions from the police in Uvalde that deserve condemnation. There might be. But I don't know. And you want to know why I don't know? Because nobody knows the whole story yet. The investigation has barely begun, much less having been completed. We don't know who knew what. We don't know when they knew it. And we don't know what they knew as they were giving updates to the press yesterday afternoon. One thing I think that is very fair to say as we try to, again, pick up the pieces, figure out what went down, how it went down, and why it went down the way that it did in the shooter shooting situation at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. One, I think, source of agreement should be that they should not have been holding those press conferences and giving answers that were not accurate because they didn't have the accurate information. They didn't have verification. They didn't have proof. They were going on conjecture at the moment in many of the answers that were given, including the original declaration by the police spokesperson who declared that the shooter who crashed his car into a ditch got out of it, started shooting at people at a nearby funeral home before marching over onto the school grounds and onto the school grounds and having been engaged by the school resource officer outside before getting by that officer and going into the building. That's what we were told. That turned out to be completely and wholly inaccurate. But that's what the rumor was. And somehow, someway, they sent a spokesperson up there to give that speech, or not give that speech, make those remarks and answer those questions without having all the facts. So I will stipulate to you that we don't know what all the facts are. They didn't know what all the facts were when they were doing their reporting. Tucker Carlson didn't know all of the facts last night when he completely decimated the police response, declaring it to be uh, fictional, fabricated, and almost cowardly. He didn't have all of the facts when he showed video of family members yelling at some police officers, go in there, get in there, they're still shooting our babies, go in there and get in there. Is that a traumatic piece of video to watch? Absolutely. If I were a parent in their shoes, would I be screaming, give me your vest, I'll go? Absolutely. Might I say, I don't need a vest, just give me a firearm and I'll go? Maybe so. Probably so. Definitely so. If I was one of those parents. But what they didn't know, what Tucker didn't know, what any of the others who were so-called experts didn't know, 
is how many other officers there were. Where were they located? Were there officers in the building at the time that the parents were yelling, go in there, officers? Do they know what they wanted the officers to go in there and do? Do they know what the officers were going to face once they got inside the door? Do they know if it was a still active shooter situation or was it a full-on hostage situation? Once he was barricaded inside of a room with a bunch of fourth graders. I don't know the answer to hardly any of those questions. But you know what I do know? Is that neither does anybody else. Not until a full and complete investigation is done. Not until videos that might have been in the hallways, surveillance and security videos, and and body cam videos. Not until all of those things are released and verified and presented will we know exactly what went down inside that building and exactly what the responsibility of the police officers in those moments should have been. And were those responsibilities met, or was the ball dropped? Right now, I think it is very clear to say that the ball was dropped from the public information portion of this. The remarks of the officer speaking, the spokesperson speaking to the media, were not accurate. That's the reality. They were not accurate. He was not engaged on the outside of the building. There was not a single Border Patrol officer, one person, who decided, I can't wait anymore, and burst in there by himself and took down the the shooter in the situation. A lot of that information is just flat-out factually inaccurate. But what is the accurate information? That we don't know. My point as we begin this morning is, second-guessing is always easier than on the spot, in the moment, at the time of crisis, in the fog of war, guessing, number one. And number two, hindsight is usually considered to be twenty twenty vision. After the fact, and you can see what happened, now you have twenty twenty vision, and you have clear clarity on what went down. Well, guess what? We're not in hindsight mode yet. We're still in active discovery mode. We're still in investigation mode. Once investigation has been completed, once full evidence has been presented, then we can say now, through our hindsight, now we can sit here and play Monday morning quarterback and say, all right, this is what should have been done, this is what was done. Okay, this is what shouldn't have been done, and this is what was done, and so forth. But right now, the Monday morning quarterbacks are already up there ready to cast their judgment upon the officers who responded to that situation the manner in which they responded to it, all driven by the emotion of of just traumatized, terrified parents outside of a building on a video of, of somebody's cell phone screaming at the officers to get in there, not having any idea how many officers were already in there, which ones were calculating and getting themselves in position to go in with the necessary equipment, to try to preserve as much life as possible. Nobody has those answers until those investigations are complete. So I watched last night, just kind of jaw on chest, some of the coverage, including what was on Tucker. And I woke up this morning to find out a lot of different information. 
than what they presented on Tucker. And I think it's only fair to call out that which is unfair in making these judgments after the fact, again, from the comfort of our own homes, of exactly what should have been done, and here's what I would have done. We pay police officers. We laud police officers. We praise police officers for being willing to run toward the gunfire when everyone else is running away from it. A lot of people in the United States this morning think that these police officers did not do that. And I believe that is completely and wholly unfair. It is fair to say, let's complete the investigation. Let's find out about the two officers that were wounded from him in the very early portion, four minutes in. The ones who were wounded and still stood guard outside the door trying to figure out the best way to get through the barricaded door, knowing that if they just tried to kick it in, all that would happen is they would be shot and perhaps more kids would be shot. Let's find out exactly what was going on from the tactical side. I think it's a it's a it's an utter tragedy. Not just the obvious criminal act of killing innocent children and and adults in that school, but it is a, it is a tragedy to savage the reputations of individual officers and the institution of policing as a whole with Monday morning quarterbacking based on completely inaccurate information. It is also tragic and irresponsible to release inaccurate information during a hastily thrown-together press conference yesterday. There's a lot of mistakes that have been made here, and I don't think it's right to judge anybody for them until the investigation is complete. I want your thoughts on this. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. What do you say we start, however, with our Pledge of Allegiance? Patriots, go ahead and stand. Face your flag if you would, please. If you have... Excuse me. If you have no flag, go ahead and close your eyes and imagine old glory flapping in the breeze. It still matters. As a matter of fact, it is the representation of this country. It is the representation of the rights under which we live. It is a representation of the free republic that we were gifted by the founders who told us, yes, you do have liberty, and yes, you have the right and the ability to protect that liberty by way of something called our Second Amendment. If you believe in not surrendering your constitutional rights because of the actions of somebody that had nothing to do with you, then you'll join me in this pledge. If you believe that constitutional rights of innocent people should be should be surrendered because somebody not associated with them did something, well, then you don't get the flag anyway. You don't understand it a lick. And you are exempted from pledging allegiance to it. You go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-wannabe quarterback. For now, and for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is 921 Always Right Radio on alwaysright.us. Okay, 924, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. 
Phone lines are open to you now, 216-901-0945. Multiple law enforcement sources revealed yesterday to Breitbart, Texas, that part of the delay in stopping the barricaded elementary school shooter hinged on a deadly mix of the shooter's defensive tactics and the lack of needed gear to overcome those tactics. Specifically, they needed a ballistic shield to enter the classroom with the barricaded shooter. Entering without it was only going to result in dead officers joining the dead children. There would be no way to take him down without the ability to get through the door uh, without being killed immediately. Breaching the door without that shield would have resulted in certain death and made the children no safer. They had to wait for that material or that shield, that equipment to arrive, or else it would have been just a, a suicide mission. No one would have been safer. Moreover, what they said is dead officers would have provided the shooter with more weapons. Dead officers would have had their own weapons compromised, their own ammunition compromised, and likely a radio so that the shooter would be able to monitor the transmission of all of the tactics and strategies that were being planned on the outside to take him down. These are things that were not relayed or conveyed to the public and to the media by the police officer, the uh, spokesperson rather, who gave a very very shoddy performance, if you will, at the press conference. This information was not yet available to him, probably. That's why it was called an incomplete investigation. Tactical decisions were being made by a tactical team, and once the shooter barricaded himself into a classroom behind a fortified door that was specifically fortified for what? It was specifically fortified to keep out shooters in an active shooter situation. It's what most schools and classrooms have done in these last 20 years or so since we have started to see school shootings becoming all too commonplace. Normally, those fortified doors are great resources to keep shooters out But once he is inside, now the only thing they can do is keep the police out. So do they blow up the door? Do they shoot through the door? Do they shoot the lock? Do they know what's on the other side? Do they know where the children are? Do they know that the the cowardly gunman wouldn't have pushed those kids to right next to the door so that in the event of breaching the door in a violent way would have just killed those kids? They didn't know any of those things, which is one of the reasons why they could not just go in there, guns a-blazing, yee-haw, let's get them, the way so many of the Monday morning quarterbacks want to believe that they could have. Once it became a barricaded, behind-a-fortified-door situation with a bunch of little kids inside with the shooter, terrified kids, it went from active shooter to hostage situation. And in hostage situations, they don't just go in and start firing haphazardly and randomly, knocking down doors and blowing things up because that's exactly what will just tell the shooter to end it all and kill every one of the hostages in the moment. Do I know that the police officers did everything right? I do not. Do I know that the police officers did anything wrong outside of the press conference? I do not. Will we know the answers to these questions once an investigation is complete? Once video 
of the surveillance cameras is made available, once body camera uh, camera footage is made available, will we know then? Probably. Then and only then can Monday morning, morning quarterbacks pass judgment on what was done and what wasn't done and what should have been done. Then and only then. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. John is in Shard and wants to get in early here. Hi, John. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. I have a question. When you know, I'm from Shard, and so when the shooting happened here, the first thing our police chief did was put on his Kevlar vest before he moved into the situation. Now, from what I'm hearing, the P- the police officers in this situation didn't have their Kevlar vest, and they had to be brought to them on on site. Uh, you know, so there was a loss of time, and uh, where they just had to stand around and everything. So. Well, yeah, that is a part of it. That is a part of what we are hearing. And, and I will say this, though, and thank you, John, in, in, in follow-up to what I have been saying, I have heard that, too. Do I have confirmation of that yet? No, I don't. Neither does anyone else because it's an ongoing, incomplete investigation. But, yes, I have heard in addition to lacking the shield necessary to try to breach that uh, um, room with without more loss of life and without more threats to the children, um, without that shield, they could not have gone. And the same is probably true if they were not already wearing vests. Remember what Uvalde, Texas is. It's a very, very, very small town. It is probably not one where the officers strap on their bulletproof or Kevlar vests at the start of every shift, the way they do in Chicago, the way they do in Cleveland, the way they do in Houston, the way they do in, in New York. It's probably not standard standard part of their day. Only if they are going to go to an active situation would they then vest up. But probably not what they wear every day. And I don't know if that's true either. Neither does anyone else. This is why we have to wait for the investigation to be complete. But we're so anxious to prove our point, to make our agenda the right, or our narrative rather, the right narrative, that everybody is jumping in and saying, oh, the police screwed up, or oh, the police did great, or oh, uh, the, the uh, border, border Patrol agents uh, are the only ones who knew what they were doing. I mean, all of these different things are 100% conjecture at this moment in time because the investigation is ongoing. It is incomplete. And I think it's only fair for us to pump the brakes a little bit, say our prayers, express our condolences, to the families of the victims and to the victims themselves and their souls. But moreover, if we're looking to figure out what happened for the purpose of preventing such things from happening again, which they happen far too frequently, then we need to be more responsible and wait until the investigations are completed. Much, much, much more coming up after the news. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 938 AM 1420, the answer. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget to follow along on Always Right Radio. I have all of the top links, the latest information that we have on Uvalde, the reaction, the some of the legislation that is being proposed and turned down on the uh, uh, in the United States Senate. All of it is there. Um, but what I want to do here is I want to share some TV with you. Now, this is not traditional, obviously. It's not something I would typically like to do. 
But Fox News has the resources to have somebody on the ground in Texas. I do not. So I'm going to use theirs. Uh, Lawrence Jones is on the ground in Texas, and he's got sources within the Texas law enforcement agencies who are giving him some of the details that we don't have, that I don't have, that nobody has. But they aired it this morning, and I took the liberty of recording some of it to share with you. So this is uh, this is from Fox and Friends this morning, Lawrence Jones on the ground in Texas, giving us some of the realities of what was done by law enforcement to try to take down that shooter in an expeditious manner, but also in a safe manner that would be safe for the officers and for the kids, none of which is easy to figure out without a complete investigation. So I want you to listen to a little bit of this and and understand exactly where we are before you Monday morning quarterback and declare this to be a complete failure of law enforcement or of anything else. Before the Rangers are are willing to present their their complete investigation, accidents, mistakes happen. So this is what I know for a fact. Uh, from my sources right now. Uh, and, and this is where some of the criticism is coming from. A lot of the families were outside while everything was going, and a lot of the criticism is that they wanted to go in. They were having uh, the law enforcement that was on the ground secure the area. So what was happening inside? So we know right now that two law enforcement officials who were part of the local unit, Uvalde police, were under fire. All right, So they were going after the suspect. They could not see him, but they heard it. But he could see them and was firing on them they got injured and so from that that point they they decided to take cover where they could then see where where the gunfire was coming from and stay on that uh on that door where he was it was kind of like a t area so they could see the door but they couldn't see exactly where it was coming from from that moment it became from an active shooter situation uh um um to standing on that door so he stopped firing on them. He, he was uh, then stay, uh, staying behind that door, not doing any shots. During that period of time, they were trying to figure out how they were going to breach that door. Um, they did not have the capability to breach that door because they didn't even have the level four um, um, shield to go in there. They had one unit that heard it just on the radio that was off duty. He made his way to there. They used the hooligan tool. The commander on the ground decided, listen, I understand that you don't have the complete team, but we got to go in. Again, we're still talking about that 45 minutes. During that period of time, as they're trying to get that uh, hooligan tool and that level four um, um, shield to go in there, they are still evacuating all the rest of the classrooms, right? So they're standing right there because this is no longer an active uh, shooter situation. This is almost a hostage situation. The rules of engagement is much different when you have an active shooter uh, situation and when someone is barricaded behind the door, right? So then you have that special operations unit to come there. They have the level four uh, um, shield. They have the hooligan tool because they don't have the key at this point to break in that door to go in there. Now, this is where the story gets a little dicey right here. We were, the, the mainstream media, all the press outlets have been reporting that it was that officer that had the hat that was fired upon um, that went through the door first by himself. It wasn't him by himself. It was about three or four of the guys that were a part of the original unit and then just regular other law enforcement from other agencies. The person that took, they knew when they were going to go in that door because they couldn't see behind which, what, which is why it took them so long to actually breach it. It was the guy that held that shield that took the most of the gunfire. That guy that got the round was men behind. That, that shows you how dangerous it was. And then 
they lift the suspect up and were able to take control of the situation. Those agents that were also there that took that gunfire, they did started to try to resuscitate all those young people that were still trying to to just make it guys so that's we continue to get more of the evidence that led us here guys right so i wanted to share that like i said because they've got resources on the ground there and they've got actual sources from within the police departments and the sheriff's offices and the uh the border patrol tactical units and so forth telling them what really happened but but you know who wasn't told what really happened the guy who was forced to stand out there and answer the questions at the press conference yesterday, who gave inaccurate and incomplete information, and you could tell was struggling because he said, I, basically, I don't know, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, but even some of the things that we think we know, we have to verify. And, of course, the press, in their zeal to be first to get all of the information they can right now and report it immediately, in part for the families and the relatives and, you know, the relatives of the non-victims, meaning the students who were not actually shot in the school, but their family members are terrified, too. So in, in their zeal, in their rush to get the information out there as quickly, quickly as they can, they were demanding answers that were not really available. And the, the, the spokesperson for the police gave some inaccurate information in trying to respond to that. The investigation is nowhere near over. It is barely begun. And what you just heard from Lawrence Jones there, Jones there, I think changes some of the narrative that we got last night from Tucker, who spent 20 minutes essentially savaging the police for not doing their jobs, almost calling them the new cowards from Broward. Remember the coward of Broward? That was the police officer who stood outside without any tactical planning going on, without any uh, any of these things that we're talking about here, stood outside uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, School in Parkland, Florida, about four, a little over four years ago, and wouldn't engage. And he was he was fired, essentially. He his reputation and everything else. That is not the case here. And that's kind of how it was presented last night by, last night by Tucker. And I thought it was highly irresponsible. Because now we're finding out this morning from this reporting, and again, we don't know which reporting is the most accurate. This one would seem to be more, more, more realistic, given what we know about police officers, given what we know about tactical responses. That if somebody is just wandering through the hallways and randomly picking people off with shots, it's, there's one way to approach that. And that's probably to indeed go in with guns a-blazing, finding him and killing him. But once somebody is not wandering the hallways and blasting people, but has barricaded himself behind a fortified door, it's a very different animal. You can't just go in and shoot because you can't get through. How do you get through? Do you blow the door? Do you use uh, you know, an explosive device to blow the door open? What if he's got the kids stacked up against the door? Do you shoot through the door? What if he's got the kids stacked up against the door? No, you're going to have to find a way to break through that door with protection, without killing the kids inside, and without just marching into suicide fire. And that's what, what it sounds like what Lawrence is reporting here is that at least two officers did go in and exchange fire with him before he barricaded himself in that door. And then while injured, because each of them got hit, one of them got hit in the ear and the other one in the arm, thank goodness another inch inside the ear is a fatal headshot, right? 
Wait, they waited and and tried to figure out what to do and how to engage him from that point, and they could not do anything else until a shield arrived. Again, because all it would have done was added dead officers to the dead body count of the children and the adults in the room. You want to take him out, hopefully, without further loss of life to the children, who are now hostages in that situation, and, of course, to the officers, who are not afraid of the gunfire, but they know it is going to be ineffective Virtually every cop I've ever met will tell you they are willing to sacrifice their lives in service of their fellow man. They are willing to lose their lives in the line of duty. But suicide is not duty. Suicide would not have saved those kids. And running into uh, rifle fire through a barricaded door, somehow breaking through it and just going forward without the shield is just running into a suicide. That's not losing your life in the line of duty. That's losing your life foolishly without the children being any safer. And in fact, maybe giving the shooter more of an advantage once he takes the officer's weapons from them, and perhaps a radio as well. So all of this has to be considered. And I hope people are are, are responsible enough to not just sit here and say the police screwed this up. That's why there's night. And and you know who's, who's making these arguments, of course? For the most part, not just Tucker last night. But every leftist in America that wants to say the answer to school shootings is to repeal the Second Amendment. Our answer is put armed police officers in the buildings. Their answer is, ha, look what happened when the armed officers were there. They didn't do anything. We have to repeal the Second Amendment. We've got to take the guns off the streets. Get rid of the AR-15s, etc., etc., etc. 216-901-0945, I want to go to the state where this is happening right now. My friend Will, now he's in Houston. He's not in San Antonio or Uvalde. It's a little bit of a ways away. But Will in Houston, Texas, has got some thoughts for us. Will, good morning. Hey, good, good morning, Bob. Um, man, you, you're doing, doing an awesome job this morning. Um, man, it's, there's so much so much I want, I want to say on this. So I'll try to make it, try to make it quick. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really glad that more information is coming out about this. Um, what we just heard from, from Lawrence Jones, I'm really glad that more information is coming out. And 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 unfortunately, Bob, with the, with social media, social media has a really is really powerful at making people have knee jerk reactions to things. And unfortunately, I guess the the police and, and these press conferences didn't didn't really do themselves any favors. But but as we know, the left tends to control narratives and the, the left and the media tends to control narratives. And so we as as conservatives, as as logical thinking people, I know it's hard, I know, you know, especially with something like this is very emotional. But it's re- we really, really, really have to, you know, p- kind of take a pause and, and, and wait on all the information to come out. Otherwise we have something like like you said what Tucker did and Tucker I I, I watch Tucker religiously. You know, but I, I really want I really hope in the future that he also tends to suggest, you know, waiting to get all the information before he, because he's, he's very influential. He's very influential. Oh, absolutely. He is. And so it's very important that he as an influential conservative media person, that he, he realizes that, you know, the left and the media and social media, you know, is a breeding ground for, for knee jerk reactions. And so we really need to wait until we get the full report before we start accusing people of doing stuff, you know. And and uh, one other thing, one other point I want to bring. I'm so mad, Bob. I'm so irritated with people bringing up the age 
of the guy that, that bought the gun where he was 18. Why, why is an 18-year-old able to get this blah, blah, blah? Uh-oh. I think we lost you. Hello? Yeah, there you are. Yeah, Will, you disappeared there for about 8, 10 seconds. Go ahead and... Uh, you okay, I'm sorry. You're, you, that's an okay. 18-year-old, you're still, an 18-year-old can, can, can give his life for this country. An 18-year-old can give his life for this country. So don't tell me, you know, you have a problem with an 18-year-old having a gun, but then turn around and say a 3-year-old can tell you he's a, a little girl when he's a boy. <laughs> you are you are not wrong. You know, you know what is, though, just while I got you here, Will, uh, I completely agree. People saying, well, 18-year-old shouldn't be able to have guns. If you can join the military and, 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 and carry a weapon, you, you can have one in your own private life for defense. Uh, I agree with that. But what I don't understand, and a lot of people have pointed this out, we talked about it in some depth yesterday here, is where does an 18-year-old get the money for those two very, very, very expensive rifles, over 350 rounds of ammunition, um, apparently a new or new-ish truck, and body armor, which again, you know, is you know, Bob, I, I have been one that 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 question has been scratching the back of my brain ever since I found out that is a very, 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 very good question. That now that's something that Tucker can look into. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and then they should because they said he was unemployed. He was yep. an unemployed loner, so the odds are he didn't have a lot of good friends. From again, oh. what the what the profile that we know of so far is. So where who's funding those purchases, and was he being manipulated? Now again, never, ever, ever, ever let it be said that I am trying to excuse the individual right. here at all. But when I say, when I ask this question, because of the financial part of it you and I just discussed, if I ask the question, was he a patsy, what I mean is, did somebody manipulating this loner, this isolated dude, who one of the other reports they had on on Fox News this morning, uh, and this came from the congressman, Tony Gonzalez, for that district, um, was that he was questioned about a plot that apparently was written out with somebody else back four years ago when he was a freshman, in which he sa- said one day in 2022, when we're seniors, we're going to shoot up a school. Now, that, that, was, that was brand new this morning. That was wow. brand new. Now, now the, I mean, literally, the Fox, the Fox uh, hosts who were Hegseth and um, Katie Pavlich and Brian this morning were all like, what? Because nobody had said this until Congressman Tony Gonzalez said it this morning on live television that that was the case as he understood it. So wow. I guess the reason I'm bringing it up, Will, is if that's the case, then he was known as a potential threat. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, did somebody, knowing they've got a guy who can do this for whatever their sick, twisted agenda would be, all mm-hmm. we got to do is get them the weapons, all we got to do is get them the truck or give them the money to buy those things or whatever the and the body out of the circumstances are, since we don't know where an 18-year-old unemployed kid gets thousands of dollars for all of that stuff, it does make you wonder if somebody didn't manipulate and use him and his own you know, insanity or his own mental health problems or whatever to try to make something happen here i guess that's you know you know bob i'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all but but when something doesn't doesn't add up and in this case that absolutely does not add up right and I, then absolutely I, I believe you know some somebody needs to look into this somebody with you know a, a tucker carlson level of resources somebody needs to look into this man because yeah, this- they really do. Well, you know, here's here's the way I look at it, Will, and I think you and I are of, of, of like minds here. Um, mm-hmm. If something does not make 
uh, common sense, then you have to look for uncommon situations. Absolutely, uh, brother. And, and common Absolutely. sense common sense tells me an unemployed 18-year-old can't afford all of this stuff. So now I have to go to an uncommon place and say who bought it for him and for what purpose. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so man. I, I just, I, just I, I want to leave with this, man. We, we need to continue to push back against this, this left-wing crap that they're, that they're pushing, man, especially, like I said, with this whole, well, if you're 18, you, you're not supposed to have, you shouldn't have a gun or or, you know, making everything about, you know, the, 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 the a rifle when when not the majority of the, the gun violence in this country that happens every single weekend in, in low income minority neighborhoods happen with handguns. But you don't you don't hear about that. No, man. Oh. well, you know, you, you, you know what? We also found out a couple of days ago from an army ranger uh, who said, you know, this is not about assault rifles or quote unquote rifles. And did you mm-hmm. know this, that there are more people in the United States killed every year with Hammers, hammers, <laughs> than with rifles, and not just assault rifles, but all rifles, including twelve gauge shotguns, hunting rifles, and so forth. Hammers, well, hammers. I didn't uh, know that. <laughs> I didn't either, but uh, but it was uh, it was an Army Ranger. I think he was on Tucker. It was two nights ago, and this Army Ranger, former retired Army Ranger, said literally statistics will show you that. So, so again, the idea that the, getting rid of the rifles is going to stop the murders is just insane. All, so. this, all this is, Bob, this is, just a, this is just a continuance of, I guess, what was it, summer of 2020, when, when it, whenever it's in, in election season, the media, the left, they gin up whatever they can find to, to try to you know, uh, uh, use it for their election uh, 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 benefit. I have no doubt that there are, you know, uh, individuals in the Democrat Party and in the left-wing movement um, that literally have all of their talking points lined up, all of their responses lined up to, hey, when the next school shooting happens, uh, rip the envelope, rip, rip the seal off the envelope, and here we go. This is what we're using. They, they, but, they're not, but, but they're they have a checklist, though. The, they, have, they have a checklist. If the shooter is not white, exactly. right. oh, we yeah. got to do this. Oh yeah! I, 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 use a handgun. We got to do this. <laughs> I, I mentioned that yesterday. The Buffalo shooter. The Buffalo shooter. The previous weekend, white kid uh, who made a bunch of racist statements, and ten out of the twelve victims were black. So, what do they shoot? What do they focus on? White supremacy, white nationalism, racism, exactly. uh, domestic terrorism. In this exactly. case, it's a Hispanic shooter and a bunch mm-hmm. of Hispanic victims. So we mm-hmm. can't do that. So it's guns, 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 guns. They exactly. always have a checklist. You're right. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, 9.57, we'll uh, take a time. In fact, we'll take it to news here. We'll come back with more calls after the top of the hour. Always Right Radio on alwaysright.us and on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. It's a free-for-all Friday, the 27th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Still reacting to not just what happened in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday. Still reacting not just to the loss of life, but also reacting to the reactions of what happened in Uvalde, Texas. And 
How do we prevent loss of life? There are two schools of thoughts on this, by and large, from what we have determined. One school of thought is to disarm America. Make law-abiding, constitutionally observant, um, and free Americans. Make them surrender their firearms because of things that they did not do wrong. It would be akin to saying we're not going to allow Americans to drive trucks anymore because a truck plowed through a Christmas parade and and killed six people and injured 60 more in a very heinous terrorist attack. Those trucks are dangerous. Nobody can drive trucks anymore. That's one approach. That would be the leftist approach. No guns for anybody. No AR-15s for anybody because somebody used an AR-15 in a terrible crime. Never mind the fact that AR-15s and... Rifles in general are not one of the leading uh, weapons used in the commission of mass murder in the United States. Doesn't matter. It's scarier. Plus, we can put the word assault in front of it. And we can try to convince foolish people that AR stands for assault rifle. When, of course, it does not. It stands for Armalite, the name of the company that made this particular type of weapon. So that's the, the one suggestion. The suggestion on the right is a little bit different is a little bit different. The suggestion on the right is we need to protect our students in their schools. We need to protect, particularly in our elementary schools, our children with armed officers who protect and defend. Rather than responding minutes later, and then, in the event of a shooter getting inside, because there's no armed resource officer inside, if a shooter gets inside and barricades himself with defenseless children... Now we're in in an even bigger precarious situation. Responding minutes later, and then in the fact, in this particular case, he was in there for almost an hour. Because of it, we need to have somebody inside, multiple people perhaps, who can respond to a potential threat immediately, within seconds, not minutes, much less hours. But perhaps just armed Resource officers, armed security guards, armed retired police, armed retired military, all being hired by the federal government. And yes, the federal government should pay for this. I had somebody call yesterday and say, well, what about the schools? Schools don't have enough money. They can't afford to pay their teachers and their staffers enough money. Uh, how are they going to pay for officers, too? And the answer is federal grants. Mandatory. By removing some of the extraordinarily wasteful um, discretionary spending that the federal government is using, is doing right now. You get rid of that, you will have more than enough money for every school district in the United States of America to hire and train and certify either staffers who are actual teachers and members of the staff as well, or separate and specialized uh, officers to protect the kids. But maybe, just maybe, that even that wouldn't be enough. Maybe we have to take it a step further. And I say that because there's a really interesting piece that I read last night about the way things are done in Israel. And one need only look at the results in Israel to make you think to yourself, huh, is this the answer to our problem as well? Israel is in a different situation, as you know. Israel, of course, is constantly being threatened with being wiped off of the map by some of its surrounding neighbors, including Palestinians, uh, who continue to lob, lob rockets and, 
and bombs uh, uh, into uh, you know from the West Bank and into Israel, uh, pretty much killing indiscriminately. There are people who get into Israel who mean to do harm, anti-Semites who don't believe that Israel deserves to exist, that sort of thing, right? All of that is legitimate concern, so Israel has a very, very, very strong and strict school protection policy to protect the little Israeli kids. And I think it's something that is worth talking about here. What if the answer here is more than just putting armed guards uh, on the job? What if the answer is also doing something that is considered to be taboo in the United States? And that is to profile. Now, that doesn't mean racially profile. Everybody bristles at the thought of profiling. Well, I look like somebody who might be a threat, and, and, and you're, you're saying that I look like somebody, and that offends me, and you're going to profile me and choose me as somebody to, uh, uh, somebody to uh, scrutinize because I might be a threat. People get very upset by the thought of something like that. They don't want to be profiled while they're driving. They don't want to be profiled while they're at an airport. They want to be. They want to be profiled while they're uh, well, pretty much anywhere near a school, but yet this might be just the answer. Because when they profile in Israel, um, what they do is is they have very well. Let me let me just throw the results at you. In Israel, there have been attacks at schools six times since 1974. Let's let's look at that again. Six times since 1974. Something is working there. Not just the presence of the armed guards, but also the presence of the profiling security model that they use. This was highlighted on Fox, and I want to share this with you, just a little bit of this. Shooting attacks on schools in Israel are rare, and the Jewish state's preventive security measures could be a helpful starting point for improved school security in the United States. There have been six terrorist attacks on Israeli schools since 1974. That low figure can be explained by the multiple layers of security Israel employs and the engagement of civil society in aiding the nation's law enforcement society. Israel could not prevent attacks if its efforts were based solely on the armed security guards at each school, according to David Hazani, a writer and commentator on Israeli and American affairs and a father to 11 children who said that the country puts effort into identifying potential assailants through behavioral profiling. They invest heavily in monitoring profiles of people. It has a complex, multi-layered approach to security that uses intelligence networks to examine the acquisition of weapons and social media activity. Yigal Arbiv, who was in charge of security at Chernikovsky Junior High School in the Israeli coastal city of Netanya for 16 years, said it's important that the head of security for a school be given authorization to do everything to provide safety for the children and staff. Arbiv, who has 27 years of military and security experience, said his system employed a spotter 50 meters from the school who patrolled the area and kept an eye out. Visitors to the school could only come from one direction. Now I'm going to pause here to remind you of what I told you uh, both on Wednesday and Thursday after this thing happened on uh, this uh, atrocity happened on uh, Tuesday. Andrew Pollock, the father whose daughter was uh, was killed in the Parkland uh, shooting incident over four years ago in Florida, 
at Stoneman Douglas. Um, he now works for a company called uh, Berna Security, and one of the school safety measures that they put in place and that they teach uh, schools with their tactical training is one single entrance point. Do not allow multiple doors to be opened at schools and allow kids to come in from, you know, you know. and what happens is, we've probably seen this. I know in my old high school it was this way, and for my kids, you know, the further away you have to park, you want to go to the closest door, particularly if it's in the rain or in the snow, right? I'm going into the closest door. Too bad. You're going around the building however you have to to get into the one door that's open, single point of entry. This is what the Israeli expert is talking about. So a spotter is there 50 meters from the school. Only People can only approach the school from one direction. A fence surrounds the school. Cameras are in place all over the facilities. Hot spots can be manually activated if a problem arises, sending a message to the head of security and staff immediately. Everyone, everyone who goes into the school needs to pass through a metal detector, like at an airport, and sign his name. The school has one exit, one entrance, like I said. Nobody comes to the school without the head of security knowing about it. We do not allow people not connected to the school to come inside. Now, I'll I'll again point out, Israel has a very different type of experience than what we do here in the United States. We're not in danger of people trying to kill us just for being Americans, just for occupying the territory that we have, not on a regular basis anyway. Now, we know that when it comes to radical Islamic terrorists, yes, who want to attack America just for being America, that is a reality. And we do have terrorist bombings and we do have terrorist incidents, no question. But generally speaking, we're not Israel, where we're surrounded by countries filled with people who want to kill us all. So they have to do this. Is it ideal? Is it optimal for our kids to have to walk through metal detectors? No. Is it ideal and is it optimal that we have to do so to get onto an airplane, to get into a courtroom? There are a number of places where you can't go unless you walk through a metal detector and pass a security clearance. Why would schools be any different? particularly given the rate at which shootings are happening now. Nobody wants that to be the case, but nobody wants to have to deal with what we're dealing with right now again, do we? There are also barricades around the school so people can't drive into it. You ever see those posts, those, those concrete posts in front of gas pumps? Are those decoration? No, it's so that nobody can ram their car into a gas pump, starting it, you know, touching off a massive explosion and a and a, and a fire fueled by the by the gas pump. That's why those posts are there. Why are there posts? Those big concrete posts or thick concrete posts in front of picture windows or not picture windows? What am I trying to say? Um, store windows, um, uh, front doors uh, at, at 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 stores, so people can't plow vehicles into the buildings, you know, through the glass windows and doors. They have those kinds of barricades so nobody can just drive through the gates, through the fences, or anything else. Palestinian terrorists have used vehicles to carry out ramming attacks in Israel, so they responded. And this is what this is how they prevent it. Arbiv, who said he has trained police in the U.S. as well, added that a large school compound also requires a guard on a motorcycle, at least in Israel. Depending on how large your school compound or campus is, if you've got to get from one side to the other very, very quickly, you might need to hop on something rather than just running. So they have that available. At every school in Israel, you have a guard at the entrance monitoring people entering. They make sure they can only come in one place, one uh, uh, enter and exit in one location, and that's how they control who is getting in. And that's why there's no school shooters going in inside schools in Israel. No bombers. No people with with, uh, vehicles trying to ram. 
The multiple layers of security Israel uses to stymie attacks on schools, including the Shin Bet Domestic Intelligence Agency, which is responsible for monitoring potential terrorist attacks and social media. He said that Shin Bet is the equivalent of the FBI in the United States. It deploys agents whose abilities are impressive. They have different sophisticated ways of collecting intelligence from artificial intelligence and cyber. He said, we have terrorist attacks in the uprising of Arab society in Israel last year. Um, in one day, we recruited 500 people, half of the people that we needed. People are willing to step up and help patrol, help protect their most innocent civilians, and those are the children. So, at the end of the day here, the Israeli, according to Avivi, the Israeli civilian society understands the shortcomings of government, and the civilian society is willing to help the government and law enforcement. They stress that volunteers are not a vigilante force or a militia and would be under strict control of the border police, but they're trained and equipped by border police officers to operate in various areas, including schools. Avivi said the program is an example of how civil society can help government institutions provide society, uh, provide security. Rather, How many hundreds of thousands of retired veterans in this country would step up and volunteer to be part of a civilian force to protect schools. I have no doubt in my mind. There would be patriotic, defensive, protective Americans ready to step up and volunteer their time as retirees or people who just work part-time, who have more time on their hands, or whatever the case might be. All we have to do is provide the training and infrastructure. Provide the training, spend the money that we are spending in foreign countries... You know, I I pay taxes like everybody else. And I like to think that every time I write that tax check on my quarterly estimates, that I'm putting money toward American success, toward American needs, American infrastructure, American military, uh, benefiting American citizens. I don't like writing my checks knowing that my dollars are being sent to serve people in other countries while my people are suffering. And that's a message I want to get to every member of Congress. You protect Americans first. The American border. The American school children. Before you worry about other countries' borders and their needs. It is shameful that we have forgotten who is really in charge of this country. It's not the government. It's the people. It's the people of the United States who have the power to elect our representatives, to serve our needs, to meet our needs. And sometimes it seems as though the media is very, very good at informing us that we aren't in charge. We are being ruled. We are being ruled by a heavy-handed authoritarian government who knows what's best for us. Shut up, give us your guns, and take it. No, we have the power. We delegate our power and our authority to them. And if they don't serve us first, then we get rid of them. And that's what I hope we remember, particularly coming up this November. All right, right back to calls after this. Ten twenty-five, always right. Radio AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Let's go down to Akron. Tanya, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh Tanya. Good morning. This has been a good show. But my biggest complaint is with the 24-hour media cycle. I listened to Tucker last night, and I was disgusted. Uh, the story about uh, 
that was on Fox this morning about him having a juvenile record that's already been dismissed. It was two others, not him. Uh, just so much information that's getting out, and it's not fact-checked. It's not the truth. Uh, I just watched uh, the people down there just want the media away so they can, the investigators can do their job and they can get their lives together. It's like a freaking circus. We need to have the information, but we need to have information that is not going to be dramatically changed. Uh, too many people are right now off of information, um, really trying to get narratives for political objectives. We're not going to be able to, we're not going to know what's happened truly in this for months. And what we need to do is let these people get their loved ones buried. It's going to, it's going to be a different Memorial Day for these parents and the grandparents and the brothers and sisters of those who lost their lives. It's going to be just as devastating as men and women who have lost, you know, people who lost their lives in the military. The small community there needs our prayers. And when media people say they don't want to hear any more prayers or anything, that's we need God back. All of these tactical things everybody is talking about, it's not going to change the heart of anybody. I don't have any answers, but I'm grief sickened that the cowards are going to come up now and try to take rights from everyday human, you know, Americans that did nothing wrong. This guy was sick. And then they're going to throw a lot of social workers in there that are going to screw up these people all over again. I don't know what, I'm just sad at this point. I no, don't have I understand. Yeah, I, I understand. And Tanya, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate your emotion on this too. Let me try to, and thanks for the call. I'll try to dovetail on some of that. Um, I, I don't have all of the answers either, and I might not have any of the answers, but I do have some ideas. And the, like the one that I just shared, look at what some other countries are doing without sacrificing our civil and constitutional rights to protect ourselves. Not taking our guns away, but look at some of the other things that are being done to protect kids. And it's more than just having a resource officer in a, um, you know, in a, in a classroom armed with nothing more than a, than a really, really sharp pencil. Uh, that's not going to do it. There has to be armed security in the buildings. And there has to be single points of entry. And there has to be uh, responsiveness. And again, it'll take more than just police officers. It will take civilian volunteers who are willing to willing to be trained um, to protect kids. I, I can't tell you how many people, you know, people are retiring oftentimes in their late 50s, in their early 60s, and they're still very, very much active, very active and very willing to do things. Many of them double dip and go back to other jobs so they can have more money in their real retirement, right? How many of them would be willing to go and work at their local schools and protect an elementary school to man one of the, the, the uh, posts outside or to uh, stand, uh, uh, you know, at the door every day, the single point of entry and, and, uh, and, you know, wand people or, or, uh, you know, have them sign in all of the different things that I just described in that Israeli thing. Is this the full and final answer? I'm not saying it is. I don't know what the true answer is. It would, 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 you know, there, I don't think there's anything that is perfect, quite frankly. I don't think there's anything that is perfect. But can we find something that's better than what we've got now that, that is close to perfect? Absolutely we can. There's no doubt in my mind we have the ability to improve on the security that we have right now. And uh, all we have to do is commit to it. 
stripping the rights of Americans away, taking away the right for Americans to bear arms, to protect themselves, their families, their country, is not the answer. Protecting our kids with the resources we have could be the answer. Quick time out for news. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to our regular uh, Thursday, con- or excuse me, Friday commentator. Christina Hagan will be with us. She is a former uh, Ohio uh, uh, representative. She is also on the Elections Commission. And she's got some thoughts on what happened in Uvalde. And we're also going to talk about what's happening in Geneva. You think we forgot about that? Yeah, that's coming up too, right after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1039 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to bring in uh, Christina Hagen now to talk more about what we have been discussing. A couple of enormous stories. Obviously, Uvalde, Texas has been the focus since Tuesday and the uh, atrocity that happened there. And by the way, make sure we use the correct verbiage. It's an atrocity. People like to say it's a tragedy. Tragedies are accidental. Travesties are intentional. Atrocities are intentional. That's what this was on Tuesday. But also what's going on in Geneva, Switzerland today, which will have an even bigger impact on us potentially than the fight over the Second Amendment. Uh, Americans losing their sovereignty to foreign governments, moreover to globalists. That's a problem. So uh, Christina Hagan, former Ohio State Representative, also a currently a member of the Ohio Elections Commission. Good to have you back uh, with us this uh, Friday morning. Thanks very much for the time. How are you? Absolutely, Bob. Doing well, um, but obviously heartbroken in the circumstances in which we find ourselves discussing, um, both from just our security standpoint as a nation as a whole and our bodily autonomy issues, but also just the devastation and atrocity that we've witnessed over the last week and just the heartbreak that it brings. You know, as my little girl um, finishes kindergarten this week, finished yesterday, I can't help but be brokenhearted for every mom and dad who can't say the same. Definitely devastating um, at the largest level and just so many prayers being lifted for every single family member, every single community member um, in Texas and just praying for complete healing and just love to surround them in this devastating time. You know, um, we can talk about the security aspect and the politicization of the events in a second, but you've said pray, I think, a couple of times there, prayers, I think you said um, that makes the left want to punch you. Whoopi Goldberg literally went under the view, I believe it was Wednesday, uh, and said if she hears one more Republican offering prayers and thoughts for the victims, she wants to punch them because prayers and thoughts don't do any good. Prayers and thoughts aren't what we need. What we need is to get rid of guns. How do you respond to that as a person of faith? Yeah, my response is simple and um in the midst of just most of the demonic uh, violence that we could witness, having somebody who's a leader on a news platform uh, promote additional violence in response to those who care and hold their faith deeply and know that it is faith that will change the heart of this nation, um, I feel sorry for her. And I would just say that we should and ought to be vigilant in praying for people like her as well who have a platform um, that God would remove the callous. Um, from her eyes and the eyes of people like her to understand that it is ultimately he who is king of all 
And in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of joy, we should be running to him in all things with both praises and petitions. And, you know, I think about just the last immense destruction of the nuclear family, of the withdrawal from God, the withdrawal from church, the withdrawal from any type of character conviction or any type of stabilization of a child's upbringing. I mean, these are the reasons why we're seeing um, the devastation, even statistically and minute scenarios. We're seeing the uprising of this through a generation of children who've been raised not only without structure or without any obedience or allegiance to a God who loves them and has created them, um, but to just a broken society that's hopeless and just bending out of control. So um, I say to her that we need prayer more than anything else, um, more than any policy change that could be made. We need change within the hearts of men and women in this country. So um, I'm devastated for her and for people like her who think that that is a tool of last resort and minimal um, because God certainly can move this mountain and change this country. And he may, or not may, he is the only um, way we can move forward in a way that is um, absolute and different from what we're seeing and witnessing in society today. We're talking with Christina Hagen. She is a, our regular Friday commentator on the most important news items of the day. I, I don't know if you're an NRA member or a gun owner, and I don't have to know. You don't have to answer that. But I just want to get your opinion on what the assaults have been. Literally, I'm watching. Well, I don't watch them because I can't watch them. I look for the highlights later, and I see the news coverage of their stories. But what I'm seeing on left-wing media, which is almost all media, are statements like the NRA is complicit in the murder of children. The NRA, in fact, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the um, uh, press secretary for Joe Biden, said, quote, NRA leadership has proven time and again that they are contributing to gun violence. And, you know, Christina, I look at the statistics and I look at who is committing gun violence in this country. NRA members never use their guns to kill people unless it's in self-defense situations, which is what Second Amendment defendants uh, and supporters believe in, is the ability to, to defend themselves against others. Um, if you can find me mass shooters like this this psychopath in, in Uvalde or the one in Buffalo or the one in Parkland or anywhere else who are registered MRA, uh, NRA members, I'll retract my statement, but I don't believe there has been a single one who is an NRA member who has anything to do with this. These are people who believe in defending themselves against these psychos, not becoming one of them. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Bob. I am um, and probably have been formerly a member of the NRA and also am um, proud to be a gun owner um, for the simple fact that it's my constitutional right, but also with the ever-growing and obvious need to be able to defend and protect my family from both tyranny and just also dangerous situations as hopelessness is on the rise, as people are feeling suicidal, depressed, and like they have no choice. They're doing irrational things, making poor decisions, breaking into people's homes, stealing their things, um, and harming others. And quite frankly, I think this is what the discussion should be about. Instead of the left's um, continual and perpetual gun-grab mentality to exploit any um, horrific scenario for the ability to lash out at law-abiding gun citizens and take away our right to sustain safety within the dominion of our homes and our families and our communities. Um, they will do anything to destruct our ability to protect ourselves. It is, you know, it is a nonstop onslaught of attacks that very seldom actually 
um, I'm willing to wager never are intended to actually resolve the problem because if we wanted to resolve this problem, we'd be talking about things like location and motivation and not guns. Um, they want to do a low-hanging fruit grab of guns, as they always do, because it's, hey, this is a great opportunity, as um, Beto demonstrated, to put on political theater and to attack um, a really, really vulnerable situation to exploit it for their um, policy purposes. But the reality is we should be evaluating the safety and security of our school systems, buildings of which we send our most prized and honored um, possessions, our children, suiting the future of their safety, looking at the motivation. Why did this person do what they did? Clearly our schools are a soft spot for them to be able to have a point of access like this um, like you said, demonic force had. He was able to walk through the doors of a school and take innocent lives because we have allowed for the left to obstruct from safety measures such as having guns present to protect our children, both um, by administrators or by educators or by S um, SRO officers or bringing in um, appropriately trained tactical professionals. Um, but then, you know, realizing they never want to talk about the rampant uptick in pharmaceuticals. They never want to talk about the destruction of the nuclear family, that all of these um, crazy young men who have gone wayward had no structure in their community, nobody looking after them, nobody caring when they were cutting their faces open as this young man did, nobody turning this person over to any form of authority when he was illustrating immensely destructive um, patterns. I mean, this is a lack of family, a lack of community, a world that is devoid of communication and collaboration. I mean, we've allowed for our children to be sold to the gods and idols of social media and to become completely detached from human feelings and society. This is such a big and uh, multifaceted issue that it is intellectually bankrupt to point the finger at guns, and they should be ashamed for doing so. Um. <clears throat> Christine, I don't know if um, our connection cut out there for a second. Were you able to hear my full question a moment ago? I believe so. Did you hear my? Re you didn't hear my response. Some I of apologize. it. Yeah, some of it, and because it was cut out and disjointed, I didn't quite get the full answer to what I was asking. So yeah, you, you were cutting. You were cutting out for five, six, seven seconds at a time there. Um, but but more specifically to the very end of what I was asking about, what <clears throat> do you see as the more common sensible solutions to protecting these kids um you know rather than just saying hey the left is wrong about taking away our guns okay what is our solution what should our what should our approach be oh unquestionably i'm thrilled to answer that question actually in 2018 when i was running against anthony gonzalez i had recommended that instead of spending billions of dollars overseas that we would invest in our own vital infrastructure to protect our children in the united states of america to ukraine um, you know, a fraction of that, $6 billion being utilized here in the United States, um, could put at least two SROs in every single school, um, in each American school. And, you know, we need to think about things like location and motivation and not stripping law-abiding citizens of their right to bear arms and protect their own families and own communities. We think about the locations of where our children are laying ducks for these types of um, demonic instances, we should secure those locations. Think about when these buildings are being built, that they are built for security purposes, for protection and for education, um, not for aesthetics, um, not these big clear glass windows. I mean, there are so many things that 
If you asked a military-trained person to walk through any one of our school buildings, they could point out the vulnerabilities in about a half a second. I highly recommend that the money that is being blown in other countries instead be wisely invested in our infrastructure here in the United States to protect our babies. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, what we're willing to spend for people we don't know yet are unwilling to invest for our most important um, posterity is mind-blowing. And it's, it's also important that we learn to evaluate the motivation of the shooter to have honest and transparent conversations about why these people are doing what they're doing. These are clearly detached individuals who have been not only outcast from society, but allowed to grow up in a world where social media is their form of connection and communication, which means they don't really know anyone at all, and they've lost the ability to feel feelings or connect with other human beings in a natural or organic way. This simply has to be put to a halt. We have to find a way to connect our communities, connect our children, our families, so that when children like this young man, who was so obviously broken um, and lashing out at the world and at some point had hinged into this complete demonic state, before children are reaching that state, if a community comes around them and sees, you know, a little boy who is cutting his face, you know, how are we not responding to that as extended families, as a community? How are we not getting that person help? I think we need to have honest, sincere, sincere conversations about institutions for those who are not mentally well. Um, I love President Reagan, but we got we went away from institutions that hold those who are a harm to themselves and a harm to others potentially in society, and we may need to have a real conversation about having somewhere where people that are likely to lash out towards others have a place to remain safe. Um, these are all things that I think are the broader conversation, understanding and evaluating the motivation and what leads somebody to that broken state of humanity, um, but ensuring that the location that we allow for our children to be um, to be secure. And, you know, my brothers and my husband and I have odd conversations as their first responder. My brother John's a medic who was outside of an active shooter situation recently in Columbus. Um, we need to make sure those professionals are equipped to go in and just do business immediately. And my husband and I had the conversation when the information started coming back about the fact that there was hesitation or a delay in the response. And he said, you know, there it's human nature that some would get fearful and not respond. He said, but we need to have um, unapologetically unfearful individuals who are willing to respond and connect for our children immediately. And he has said, you know, there's a group that he knows that he would go in alongside immediately, that they would be the first to respond in that scenario. And we just need um, unparalleled heroism in these scenarios. We need people that are committed. And John and I, my oldest brother and I talked about the fact that, you know, we shouldn't be sending... um, the least engaged SRO officers into our schools, we should be sending our most expert um, patrolmen on a rotating basis so that our entire police force and every single community knows our children by name and are building confidence and relationships with them, regardless of if it's Detroit or if it's Marlboro Township. And then that way, if and when something like this were to occur, there would be zero hesitation because those children would be their children. They would be in the midst of the battle, immediately stopping and curbing atrocities like this from escalating to the point at which we saw in Texas. Well, the sad thing is uh, such a, uh, a policy would take a massive, massive financial commitment of federal dollars from uh, our Congress. And uh, 
because, you know, there just aren't enough police officers to rotate them through patrol to schools and make sure schools are constantly being monitored by one of them. There just aren't enough. There's not enough money, uh, at least in the local systems. So what needs to happen is federal dollars, federal grants need to be provided for literally every district, every city, every town that has a public school in it for that very purpose. Because I agree with well, you, but it, it'll take a massive financial commitment, that it's, which, of course, is not something that uh, I, I hate to make it partisan. Not something the left is, yeah, the left is not really interested in spending money on that when they've got to fund studies in Pakistan, gender studies in Pakistan, and more. So uh, exactly, yeah. But Bob, here's here's the pot of money: the money that was spent for COVID relief, the money that was spent for CRT for sensitivity training, the money that was yep. spent for anti-racism and anti-bullying. Right. Let's invest that in sound infrastructure. Like it's so sickening. true. It's sickening so true. that they could say anything. And those dollars are in the same, you know, pot, if you will, like you said, toward education. Because most people will say, and I've said it, Ukraine, we just sent $40 billion to. I think the total so far is $53 billion in aid to Ukraine. And nobody is suggesting we shouldn't help them. But $53 billion, take a fraction of that. Take $5 billion and, and allocate it to um, training, hiring, training, and certifying uh, uh, police officers who will work in schools in some of the ways that we are talking about. Uh, we ran out of time before. Before we got to Geneva, but we will talk about that again very soon. Uh, Christina Hagan, former Ohio State Representative, Elections Commission, thank you so much for your time. God bless. Thank you, Bob. And you as well. 1055, right back on Always Right Radio. I borrowed this from a Facebook friend, and I think it's worth talking about right now. Let me share this with you. I just watched a news person interview a school principal and ask, what are we missing? What do these children need? And the principal went on to talk about mental illness, the juvenile justice system, gun control, education reform, blah, blah, blah. None of that mumbo-jumbo makes a lick of sense. Here's what children need. One, children need a mother and a father who love each other and work together as a team. Two, children need a bicycle, neighbors, and cousins. Three, children need a grandma to bake with and a grandpa to take them fishing. Four, children need a church, a Sunday school class, and a truth-telling preacher. Five, children need dinner time with home-cooked food, prayer, and conversation. Six, children need Sunday afternoon football and fried chicken. Seven, children need books on tape and coloring pages. Eight, children need summers at the beach and bazooka bubblegum. Nine, children need a trip to Arlington. And 4th of July fireworks, 10. Children need fire pits, s'mores, ghost stories, the drive-in, and real popcorn, 11. Children need discipline from their parents, 12. Children need chores, a job, a way to earn what they want, 13. Children need education that recognizes mom and daddy as the authority, God as the creator, and the Bible as the roadmap. This is not about some agenda. This is about children. Get back to the basics, faith, family, and good old-fashioned fun. And watch how many of those children grow up to be wannabe school shooters. It's 11 o'clock. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? 
Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, now 1110. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's a free-for-all Friday. The last 45 minutes of the program, now 35, beg your pardon, are yours. Open lines, free for all, 216-901-0945, It is the 27th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and it is our last live broadcast until Tuesday, because on Monday, Memorial Day, we will be indeed recognizing and attending our local parade, uh, the sacrifices given by those who served this great country and lost their lives, and of course, we will pay respects to them and their families, and I hope everybody remembers exactly. Mark King did a great job, I think, of illustrating the point about what Memorial Day is, much more than a three-day weekend, much more than just a picnic. Uh, Please spend some time reflecting on the sacrifices that give us the opportunity for the parade and the picnics and everything else that we're going to enjoy on that day. So we'll have a a best-of show on Monday, and I know that Johnny and Marcy and uh, Marianne are doing a great job of uh, of uh, putting together a great show. Some of the some of the better interviews and segments that we have had, of course, over the last several months. And we do we go back a ways. We're continuing to try to go back a ways. We've been on the air now eight years here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. It's hard to believe. So some of the good stuff from uh, days and months and years gone by. Hopefully uh, you'll enjoy that on Monday. By the way, real quick. Since we're talking about kind of, you know, holidays, which is what Memorial Day is, this isn't really a holiday, but it's a day of celebration anyway. On June 21st, so about three weeks from now, we're going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of WHK, the oldest broadcast station in Ohio, one of the 15 oldest broadcast stations in the country to still be operating. Uh, Tuesday, the 21st, Harry Buffalo, North Olmsted, huge music from Top Dog, which is a Beatles cover band, which is going to be terrific. Opening for Top Dog is our very own Johnny Hiles. Johnny, who is our producer, does our bits, runs our show, does just a little bit of everything, is also a phenomenal singer. So Johnny and uh, his company of, uh, of uh, talented musicians will be opening for Top Dog. There'll be drinks. There'll be uh, all kinds of friends. VIP area. If you purchase VIP tickets to join us for our event, uh, you'll be able to hang out with myself and Tom Kelly and uh, other uh, luminaries from the radio station, other clients and friends, uh, while enjoying the whiskey-tasting uh, flight, uh, cigars, a uh, special menu will be available for VIP ticket holders for everybody. Uh, there will be, of course, uh, drinks and hors d'oeuvres available. A buffet will be available for you. Private seating and access to the outdoor patio is also for VIP Bottom line, it's going to be fun. VIP doors open at 4.30. General admission ticket holders come in at 6. Music begins at 7. It's going to be just a great time on the 21st, June 21st, at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. Tickets are on sale now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Get your tickets for our 100th centennial anniversary. Let's go to the phones. I still have a lot of information I want to share with you, but I do want to get your free-for-all Friday calls in. So we're going to head to Cleveland and Chuck. 
Chuck, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good, Chuck. Um, I want to. You're one of your earlier callers. Nailed it. Where did this 18 year old unemployed kid get the money? What you have to do is follow the money trail. I'm quite sure that's what the detectives are doing. You know, because you know, it's this kid just doesn't have that kind of money. What did he? Did somebody die and leave him money or something? You know, well, the, I, I the only know. thing that I could think of, and and this is because of a friend, a loyal listener who emailed or excuse me, texted me during the show when we were t- discussing that earlier, who asked this question: Did this kid have a credit card? You know, there are some credit card banks, credit banks, and Discover jumps to the top of the mind because they were the first one to send me as a freshman in college. All I had for a job was a work-study job (laughs) while I was on campus. I didn't have any money, but they sent me a card uh, because they always want to try to get kids early to get them started building their credit rating or, better yet for them, building credit debt so they continue to collect interest payments for decades ahead. So did somebody send this kid a credit card? I don't believe. I don't believe you can use a credit card to buy a firearm. You can't use use it to buy alcohol. You can't use it to buy tobacco because you can always refuse a credit card. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But we're trying to think of also the, um, you know, the body armor. You know, I asked a previous caller this, too. You know, would you know where to buy body armor if you had to, Chuck? No, but I'll give you another one that's even worse. If an 18-year-old kid comes in to buy body armor, it should send up a couple of red flags. Yeah, it should. Uh, and, you know, this is why this is why part of the investigation is what happened on that day, on Tuesday. Part of the investigation is what was the response of the police, what, were, what was their, you know, strategy, what was their tactical, uh, you know, their tactical skills telling them to do and so well, on and so forth. Well, they had to fall back. But they ha- well, I know. They and, had and to we, fall back. Yeah, and, and, and we talked you know? about that in hour one. But, but from, the, from the standpoint of where did the kid get, the, he's unemployed and a loner, according to virtually all reports that we have so far. Uh, so he doesn't have friends, one would think, who would be giving him this kind of money. But yet he managed to purchase legally, according to what we know so far, these two rifles. Uh, a van, he was driving apparently, or a van or a truck that, that is not cheap, um, that apparently is registered to him, and then body armor. Uh, it just begs the question, is somebody, or was somebody, you know, colluding with him and maybe using him as their patsy to go out and carry out this attack on on the behalf of somebody of means. You just, you, we don't know yet. And it's something that, that people better start thinking about. I'd like to let you know something. I'm a veteran, and I would gladly stand out in front of a school, fully armed, to stop these idiots. Where I do I you sign up? <clears throat> I believe you would, and I believe there are thousands and thousands and thousands of others just like you who would absolutely do that. And that's kind of what I talked about with Israel. Israel uses willing civilians who are willing to volunteer their time, get trained, carry a weapon, and help protect Israeli schools. Why can't we talk about that kind of thing here? Uh, we can even pay, you know, even to a retiree, pay a small stipend or something. I'm sure most of them, like you, would do it voluntarily to protect kids in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood schools. But if we need to even pay them uh, something for their time and for their efforts and for their training, um, I don't know why we're not using all the resources we have. I would gladly do it, Buck. Thank you, Chuck. I don't know. By the way, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. you have Thank a nice weekend. Okay, you, bye-bye. You too. God bless. Um, 
yeah, that that the financial picture here. He talked about this in in some depth in the uh, at the beginning of the show with the caller. What is the cost of those two rifles? What is the cost of body armor? Moreover, if somebody said to you, "Buy body armor," where would you go? I don't know where to look for body armor. Where would I buy full body armor, Kevlar vests? Uh, you know, the whole nine yards to protect myself if, as if I was going into a war, as if I was going into a, a firefight. If that wouldn't raise a red flag, I don't know what would, particularly for an 18-year-old. But I wouldn't know where to get it. If I did know where to get it, I don't know, you know how a kid like this would pay for it, much less pay for 350 rounds of ammunition, which they say he had, along with the two very, very expensive rifles. And he was driving a vehicle, apparently that was his own, that was, again, you know, how's he making payments on things like that when he's 18 and without a job? I'm not going to be conspiracy guy here. And I've talked about how with certain things, like what's going on in Geneva right now with the globalists ready to take over the United States government. Um, people who were once considered conspiracy theorists could now be called, you know, spoiler alerters. Because, you know, it's not a conspiracy if it's true. If you're just telling people what's happening, you're, you're being, you're, you know, you're giving them spoiler alerts. Um, you're telling them what is going to happen. It's not conspiratorial. And I don't want to be conspiratorial when I ask this question, but where did he get the money? Is he working or was he working with someone else? Did someone else use him to, to, to do this to advance their own agenda? Did, did a bunch of other 18 year olds pull their money together and buy this with him and told him, you're the guy who's going to go do it. Kind of like, you know, in, in Islamic terrorism, who gets chosen to be the next suicide bomber? You know, I mean, it, it one person is going to do it on behalf of the cell, right? The terror cell or on behalf of a sect or whatever the case might be. Maybe he's the guy that was chosen from a group that pulled their resources together. I don't know. Nobody knows. But it doggone well better be asked. How does a kid fund an operation like this when he's 18 and unemployed? And and the investigation may may lead to much bigger fish than the uh, the actual trigger man. I don't know. Charlie is in Westlake. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead. Hello, Bob. Thanks for taking the call again. Sir. Hey, you, earlier you said there's two schools of thought on this, uh, whether they should wait or whether they should go in. I'm in a different school than you. I... I really believe if you have a gun and there are there's an active shooter and there's kids, you got to go in now, right then, and maybe die. But it's like a firefighter. There's kids inside and there's a fire. You've got to go in. You cannot wait at all. And I really believe if there if the facts are true and there's like a half an hour, a forty five minute gap, and he was shooting outside the school for twelve minutes, and you know there's kids in there. These people, these fire, these uh, law officers have to resign. They have guns and they have a badge. They have a duty, and that's how I feel. This is a different school than you. You cannot wait. It's not a different school. First of all, um, you're just wrong. And the reality of the situation, Charlie, is I didn't say there's two schools of thoughts on this. I said there were two schools of thoughts on a thought on how to protect kids. For the left, it's take away guns. For me, it is armed armed officers in schools. So you're confusing two things that I talked about. Okay, as it well, pertains to what that. you, that's all right. As it pertains to what you're saying, you don't know a thing about police tactics. 
you don't know a thing about response to hostage situations as opposed to active shooter situations. And what you need to do over the course, and thank you for the call, uh, over the course of the next few days is just listen. Listen and learn as the investigation reveals what they did. You go sending officers screaming into a school in which, you know, guns are blazing and let's go even if we get shot, you are going to probably lead to more dead kids than you would be, particularly if he has barricaded himself and an active shooter situation becomes a hostage situation. There are police officers and tactical experts who are on the ground in Texas that Lawrence Jones was talking to this morning on Fox who were pointing out when he barricaded himself in a school in a, in a room with those kids behind a fortified door that was actually intended to keep the kids safe from shooters, now it's keeping the shooters safe from the police. When he is in a fortified position like that, it is now a hostage situation. You can't go in there and blow the door down, Charlie. If you blow the door down to go get him, what if he's got the kids stacked behind the door? Hmm? You can't shoot the door open. What if he's got the kids stacked behind the door? You have to figure out where he is in that room and what the best way to take him out is. You can't do it haphazardly, recklessly. You don't know what you're doing if you don't know what's behind those doors. All you would be doing is if you try to blow that door open, and especially if you don't have the shield in front of you, you're simply adding dead cops to the to the bodies of the dead kids. And you're probably going to lead to all of them as you try to break in, just being just just being uh uh you know mowed down without without even you know one by one anymore. Just everybody's going right now. And moreover, if there are still kids left alive after he shoots the cops that just go in there blazing like you say, here I come, and shoots those cops, now he's got more weaponry. Now he's got the cops' guns, the cops' ammo, and a cop radio so that he can listen to what's going on outside as they make their tactical plans on how to take him out. People think that they know how to do police work. People think that they know everything there is to know about what was going on. You have no idea about the two officers that we were told uh, this morning also on Fox that actually engaged with him and actually took fire from him, two of them who were shot, who immediately took cover outside the door, trying to figure out the best way to, to save those kids. One of them was shot in the ear, and if you think, well, so, that's not so bad. Yeah, well, an inch inside, and it's no longer the ear, it's the brain. That's a headshot. The other one shot in the arm. And they both stood cover right there. And they waited for the shield to arrive and for the tactical squad on the outside to figure out the best way to go into a fortified door, or a room rather with a fortified door, to protect and save those kids without blowing it up and killing the kids with your own rescue actions. People think they know what they're doing when they don't. It's all well and good to say, cops are supposed to be heroes. Go in there and get them. If you go in there and make it worse, it's not heroic. The intent might be, but the outcome won't be. Did the cops mess up here? I don't know. But from what I heard this morning, it does a heck of a lot more gray than it is black and white. It is not just clear. You either run in or you stay outside and be a coward. It is not black and white. And people need to know that. Let the investigation reveal from video surveillance, from 
body cameras. Let's hear the radio transmissions. What were the planning? What was the planning and what were the tactical measures being considered? Because all of that goes into the equation when you're talking about somebody who is now in a, in a position to have hostages, who's not just running around hallways picking people off one after another. That's a different kind of response than somebody who's fortified and barricaded in a room. It just, this Monday morning quarterbacking, people want to call a radio show and be the Monday morning quarterback and say they know what, they should, what should, have, should have happened, is reckless. It's very reckless. 11.25, right back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Bob, the blame game started two days ago. The police are at fault. The governor of Texas is at fault. The conservatives are at fault. NRA is at fault. Gun manufacturers are at fault. What about the shooter? No one's mentioned anything about him who caused all this. That's the person that's at fault. Thank you. Pete in Solon left that message on alwaysright.us using the sound off button. Pete and Solon is spot on. Spot on. The only time anybody mentions the name of the shooter, they talk about, oh, he was insane. He was clearly disturbed, clearly mental. Some may even call him evil, but that's the extent of it. Now, it's who's to blame for this. Oh, it's the gun manufacturers. It's the NRA. Police, conservatives, he's right. Everything he said is exactly right. And the left doesn't want to blame the shooter, doesn't want to blame the culture, doesn't want to blame the family or the decline of the family, doesn't want to blame anything that gets in the way of their objective and their agenda. So they want to blame everything that is in the way, which, of course, is the Republican Party, the conservative movement, the Second Amendment, and beyond. Let's go to TJ next. Hi, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, you you really nailed it with uh, you know the one caller there. These Monday morning quarterbacks, you know, and most of these people are people that never experienced a firefight in their life. And you know, I did experience my share of firefights in Vietnam, and I can honestly tell you, I don't know if I would have charged in there with nothing but a pistol, knowing there's a man with a high-powered rifle and body armor. Uh, I can't say for sure I would have done it. And, you know, if the police would have charged in there, and let's say some of these kids were killed by friendly fire, now these Monday morning quarterbacks would have had a field day with that one. Exactly. Uh, They couldn't win either way. But the reason I called, Bob, when they talk about an 18-year-old or too young to own a weapon, well, I was only 17 when I joined the Army. And the first thing the the Army did was, was issue me a rifle. At 18 years old, I was serving with the 101st Airborne as a paratrooper in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. At 19 years old, I was deployed to Vietnam in a combat infantry unit with the 1st Air Cavalry Division. Uh, Numerous uh, helicopter assaults. I was promoted to a platoon sergeant of a combat infantry company at 19 years old. I come home. I'm not even 20, and I accomplished all this stuff. And then I found out the Democrats who controlled the levels of power back in the 60s are the ones that started this Vietnam War. They were the ones that sent 18- and 19-year-olders to go do their dirty work. And then their same laws they enacted when these combat soldiers come home, they were told, son, you're too young to vote, and you're too young to buy a drink. And is it any wonder I've been a Republican my whole life, uh, adult life? 
Well, you know what, TJ, I appreciate, and, and thank you, by the way, uh, for your service to this great country. Uh, thankfully, we are not um, memorializing you like we are so many from Vietnam and from, from all of the wars. So thank you for what you, what you Bob, did for I us. Can I say one thing real quick? Oh, okay. And I, I appreciate you thanking me, but yeah. as a Vietnam veteran, sometimes yeah. I feel a little uncomfortable when people thank me for my service. We knew in Vietnam what a lot of the country thought of us. They hated us. They despised us. We did not sacrifice and fight for the people back here. We did it for each other. Uh, I have full respect for that. Uh, and even having said that, though, um, you, you you fought under our flag, which means you did it for us, even if it was indirect. That's exactly what it was. Uh, you were fighting for your country, which said, we need you to go and do this. Whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do, you did it, uh, and you did it for each other, and, and uh, intentionally or directly or not, uh, you did it for America. And, uh, and I have great respect for that. So thank you. And thanks for the call also, TJ. Um, as to the part about you know being in a firefight, you're you're exactly right. Uh, and I would say this: that the 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 officers did rush in. The first two there within four minutes went in and engaged in a, a firefight with them or with him rather. Um, it was ineffective, and they each got hit as he barricaded himself in that room behind that fortified door, which is supposed to protect against shooters. So, you know, it's not like there were no officers that went in there without vests, without shields. They did. They got shot. And they knew full well if they tried to break through that door, they're going to get shot again and killed. And it's not going to save any kids. It's just going to add more bodies. And it's going to probably strengthen the ability of the uh, individual to make that standoff last longer, the shooter. As I said, with the police weapons, police radio, and so on and so forth. They did it the first way. Then it was, okay, now we need tactical gear. Now we need that shield if we're going to go in and not just be running into a suicide. If we have a chance, because guess what? If we go in and, and, and let's just say, oh, it's the heroism of a police officer. You're supposed to be willing to die. They are, but hopefully in the service of saving lives. If you run into somebody shooting a high-powered rifle at you and you have no way to stop that, you are not going to save the kids behind them anyway. You're just going to be dead. A police officer's effort, their strategy, their tactical maneuvers in these cases has to lead toward a goal, and the goal is to save the children in this case, save the hostages, which they they essentially were in that room at that time. Save them. You don't save them just by running into your death. You save them with a chance to take him out. And if you can't take him out because you don't have something to protect yourself, then you're not saving the kids. And people... Like TJ said, like I said, Monday morning quarterbacking things without having any idea of what they were going through, I think is just dangerous. Uh, Bob is in Middleburg Heights. Hi, Bob. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, Bob. Uh, two things. First of all, I know from a brick-and-mortar dealer, I'll call him gun shop, you can purchase a firearm with a credit card. However, okay. I've heard that this shop where this kid bought the gun, there's questionable things that they're already investi- under investigation for. I don't know if that's true. I've seen it on the news. Right. We've seen a lot of conflicting stories on the news. That's why we need to wait until the Well, exactly. That's why right. I'm kind of going there. But one other thing. <clears throat> this kid was unemployed, correct? Yes, that's what they say. Okay. Now, where does an 18-year-old kid get a credit card in his name being unemployed for the amount with a credit line of three to $5,000 to purchase these weapons. Something's not right here. No, it's not. Something is definitely, you know, not right. I mean, 
Was I that feel like there are other people state? involved here. I feel like there are yeah. other people involved here, and nobody is talking about who that might be. Again, the investigation is just in its infancy. There's a lot of work to be done. They're going to have to track and trace all of his contacts, all of his communications, all of his expenditures, uh, find out when that money was deposited into an account, if it was an account. Exactly. Was all that of those things have to be done. Right. Yeah. So it's, I, it just 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 doesn't make sense here, and it's just not adding up. I don't know. So again, no, you're you're not alone. Hopefully, myself. we'll get the truth. But I guess like, I mean, you look at this Trayvon Martin thing. We never got the truth of that either. So who knows what's going to happen with this one? Uh, okay, I appreciate the call. I'm not quite sure how to respond to that last part. I think everything in the Trayvon Martin case came out. Trayvon Martin was a thug who uh, did not like the fact that. Uh, another individual was watching him and monitoring him in a neighborhood in which he was not recognized. And when he got the chance, he jumped him and tried to beat him to death, slamming his head into the concrete while the guy on the bottom shot him uh, while he was having his head bashed into the concrete from a prone position on his back. I think Travon Martin's case is, is closed. But I appreciate your points. I want everyone to have a safe weekend, enjoy the holiday, but remember what the holiday on Monday is about. There will be a best-of show on Memorial Day. Please give thanks to those who sacrificed. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.